everybody. My name's Neil Kelly. I'm a part of that Refuge Church family that has come to join and be a part of the Rock family, and we have certainly enjoyed that. Don't you love the Christmas season? Sometimes I don't. In fact, I'm having one of those moments right now. In between services, I'm out there, and these donuts were speaking to me. The ones with all the little, uh, I don't know what they are, the colored things stuck all over them. Sprinkles! I didn't know where the word went. But I went and I, and I ate one. And I, I'm not a junk food eater typically anymore, uh, but there was a party. Taste buds were having a party. Uh, inside, it was exploding. And uh, I had to have one more. And now, as I stand here, my body is reminding me why that was a bad idea. Well, just this week, uh, my kids had a little break, Thanksgiving, uh, Wednesday through, they go to back to school tomorrow, uh, but uh, they uh, invited me to pay for them and us to go to this movie, The Avengers, and uh, so I was somewhat pressured all day long until we got to the time, all right, and we went. And so I don't know if any of you have happened to seen it, it's kind of an interesting, um, you know, uh, it's kind of a, it was a weird comedy superhero thing, a little unique. But uh, there is, isn't there just this like craze for uh, these superhero movies that have been coming out like crazy? You know, the Avengers got all of them working together. Well, let me tell you something. They would be out of a job if our world didn't have problems, right? The problems that are going on become the source of the need for a superhero. And so in the movies, you know, when there's a problem, you know, they're calling out for the superhero to come and save them out of whatever interesting, you know, the destruction of a planet, you know, wiping out the whole race, whatever it is. Um, you know, the truth is, is for many of us, if we don't have adversity and we don't have problems, many of us wouldn't call out to God. But we have a God who has promised and desires to get involved in our world and to help us when we're dealing with adversity and uh, the discouragement that life can bring. Uh, has anyone else in here experienced that? That life can be, you know, bring some blows to our life that are difficult to get through? I know I don't always do well uh, when I have faced circumstances and problems, especially when those problems uh, turn into some kind of a pain that you, you feel internally that uh, you struggle with. Because uh, how many know when you're having a, a, a painful or difficult season, uh, you kind of rehearse it? Think through it in your mind over and over. How many know some of y'all are like, yeah, man, like all the time, right? And uh, the warriors in here. Anyway, um, I won't call you out. Um, but um, sometimes you do that so much, you can almost begin to change the narrative of what actually happened. And it, it sometimes get worse than it actually was. And I know there has been a few times in my life where I've actually struggled as a result of thinking about it so much. I, I I kind of wrote a new story where I end up becoming the victim of the situation. And then when you're the victim, there's nothing really that you can do about it except reflect on what happened to you. And so I think that many people can identify with how our our thinking can stray and uh, allow us to become a victim of our circumstances. And so I want to talk a little bit about how we face the problems in our life as as believers, how how we face the uh, adversity or the insurmountable circumstances that seem to be blocking us from advancing in our life. 
All right, you ready for that? You better be because y'all got problems. I don't even, you don't even have to talk to me. I just look at you. Ooh, problems. Ooh, feeling adversity in the house. All right, well, let's talk about that. So if you open up your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 16, Acts is recording the Acts of the Apostles, and um, we find that Paul and Silas, they're they're, uh, uh, ministering together, and they have this unique moment right before this chapter where they're trying to go somewhere, and the Holy Spirit kind of blocked them from going. And I'm sure um, that Paul was talking to God about that, and we see recorded here in Scripture in verse 9 that he had a vision. So let's check out the vision. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so he woke up from that vision, and he thinks, well, I think I heard from God. And he says, after he'd seen the vision, immediately, he said, Silas, get up. We got to go. We sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had done what? Called us to preach the gospel to them. So his desire, he was a, uh, you know, the best world-renowned church planner. Apostle Paul wrote, responsible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He gets stirred up by a vision, wakes up his partner in ministry and says, come on, man, we're going to Macedonia and we're going to preach the gospel to those people. And uh, they set sail, they found a boat and went their way and went to a city uh, in Philippi, which is a part of Macedonia. And uh, many of us who are familiar with the Bible would know there's a a book that was written to a church in Philippi to the people called the Philippians. And so here they are, they're on their way. So I know uh, from experience of trying to start something new, they're going to this city, they get there, they know that God has called them to preach the gospel to the people, but when you get there, you don't know what to do, you don't know anybody, so how does this all begin? Well, it shows us right here. Now it happened, verse 16, as we went to, to prayer. Why did they go to prayer? Because we need to figure out why they're going to get this thing going. And so as they went to prayer, guess what happens? They're trying to be spiritual, and a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. How many know that is not the first person you're hoping to meet when you're going to start something new? Some demonically <laughs> uh, spirit-filled, uh, wrong spirit, um, slave girl. And um, let me tell you, the Bible gives you a little background on this lady. Um, she was a slave girl. She was possessed, and she brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. And so she had things to say to people that they apparently wanted to hear, and as a result of that, um, they uh, made money. She was being used. I was just in India, and in India, many times, everywhere, there's, you know, beggars, and, and these cute little kids will come up to your window, and they're, you know, obviously wanting money, and they're uh, motioning to their, you know, they need food, and uh, if I hadn't been told, I wouldn't know this, but um, many of them are owned by somebody. And they're sent out there to beg, but they don't even get to keep what they get. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but many of them are maimed on purpose, so they're made to be better beggars. And so that's the tragedy of human trafficking. And this girl actually found herself in a scenario like this, being used um, by people for the profit of others. But check out what this lady does. So they're here on this new ministry assignment, and they're in Philippi. They're all excited, and they're praying. In verse 17, the girl followed Paul and us and Silas and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. So this girl, lady's following them. She's a stalker. You know, Paul's walking. 
And there's a lady right behind him, and, and she's screaming. And it sounds really spiritual, what you know she said, but uh, it wasn't. In fact, I can tell you a story. When we uh, moved back to Kalamazoo about 11 years ago, and we were endeavoring uh, to start this uh, campus, we were, you know, uh, we were begging God, God, what are we going to do? We need to reach some people. You know, you want to start a church, you actually like, it's good to have people. And that's one thing that our church was lacking, people. And so we decided, let's go where people are. And so we went downtown for the holiday parade. And we were setting ourselves up on the corner of Rose Street in Michigan, and we were going to give away free, you know, hot chocolate. One of the first problems we realized is that hot chocolate goes fast. And so before the parade ended, people would drink all our hot chocolate. And so John Hendricks, some of you may know him, he went over and spent all his money at the um, Radisson and bought hot chocolate from them and brought it out in the street. And so we were already getting ready for the end of uh, the uh, parade so we could hand out hot chocolate and tell people about our church. And we had these little cards made up and everything. We were excited about it. And then this guy walked up. And uh, he's actually a sharp-looking guy. And uh, he's just standing right by our table and made a little small talk about it. made sure he had one of our cards, you know. And um, as the parade concludes, out of this guy's mouth loud goes, repent, repent. And I'm like, no, no, they're going to think you're a part of our church. Like this is a nightmare. <laughs> so I put my arm around him like, come on. I took him for a walk down the road. You know, it's like, I couldn't believe it. The timing was crazy. And so I identify with this feeling that Paul and Silas had. They're going out trying to start something new. And they got this crazy lady who's possessed, who's following them. Verse 18, you'd think it was weird one day, and she did this for many days. For many, can you see him? Oh, man, here she comes again. We're talking about, you know, today we'd get a restraining order. This is insane. And I love this. But Paul, greatly annoyed. The preacher's ticked, man. And he turned and said, to the spirit. He's not even talking to this lady anymore. He turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And I think it's interesting. And he came out that very hour. So he was in her. I don't know what that means, but uh, he called it a he. He came out of her. Isn't that crazy? I'll study that. Next week, I'll tell you about that. You know, I don't know why it was a he and came out of her. I don't know. But anyway, he did. And so here they were experiencing a problem. This was a problem, being followed by the crazy lady every day. Everywhere they went, she went. And so they thought that they were dealing with some persecution. Um, but as we read along, we're going to discover that their adversity had only just begun. They got some new problems coming their way. Because these, uh, the owners of this slave girl, uh, they were, you know, really, like I said, human traffickers. They weren't making their money anymore once that spirit got delivered. I don't know what that looked like. Uh, I don't know what the dynamics of how she got the money, but whatever, what she was doing, either she was not willing or unable to do it, and they weren't making money anymore. And they were mad at the preachers. And so uh, we see what happens here. Um, verse 19, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, check it this out. They said, hey, you guys, can we talk? Because we're a little unhappy with what happened. I mean, it's not a good day when you get seized. 
and it gets worse because they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we just kind of skip over this stuff, but this is dramatic. This is a big deal. I mean, when's the last time you got dragged off? I mean, when you're a kid, I don't know what happened, but this is like, it wasn't just that someone got mad at him and, you know, you hear about road rage. No, they went after him. They grabbed him and they're dragging them down the street. If you can imagine, I don't know what being dragged was like, but it wasn't pleasant and it wasn't what they felt like God called them to do. They're here on God's orders to preach the gospel and they're getting dragged down the street. You know, I don't know, I just get this picture of them grabbing by their feet and Paul and Silas' head are bobbling along going, hey man, this isn't what I signed up for. Me neither. Well, it gets worse because in verse 22, it says, and the multitude, that's like a whole bunch of people, rose up together against them and the magistrates, the authorities, tore off their clothes. I know, you know, not all the time do you want to say picture that, right? Um, But have you ever seen these, you know, Jesus movies? They ain't wearing a whole lot. You know, it's like they got a blanket and I'm sure that, you know, there weren't no fruit of the looms either. I think they lost their looms. I don't know, but it was probably not the best experience. So this is, uh, can we just say, awkward? That's weird. You go, someone, someone try to take your clothes off. That's like, we got a fight here, right? Well, there was a multitude of people, so they weren't going to win. Okay, well, guess what? He commanded them not only to tear their, tear their clothes off, but to be beaten with rods. The day's getting worse, verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes on them, do you know why they were stripes? It's because when they got hit by the rod, there were stripes. There were marks. And when they had laid many stripes on them, then they threw them into prison. Did you read that? It wasn't like they walked them in and opened up the door and, you know, said, this is your new home for a while. I don't know what threw them into prison means, but it, I had to get a picture that it was not a pleasant experience. So this is a day and event that's getting worse and worse, and all they're trying to do is fulfill what God had called them to do, to bring good news, glad tidings. Maybe it was Christmas time in the marketplace, but there was no Santa. It was a bad day. They didn't believe in Santa either. And... Uh, They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, having received such a charge. And he, when they received that, like, you got to put these guys up, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. So he's bringing them into the inner dungeon, so to speak. And it's not enough to be put in a room down there behind bars or whatever it was that contained them. But now they're putting clasps of some kind around their feet so they can't go anywhere. This is not a comfortable jail experience. So, what do you think Paul and Silas's response is to this crisis, this tragic experience that is taking place to them in their life? How did they deal with this adversity? What did they do? You think while they're being dragged, they were threatening a lawsuit? You know what, what, what was going on? Did they slip into a deep funk, becoming victims of injustice? Were they reminding God as they stood in that prison how this is not fair? We don't deserve to be treated this way. I think they might be blaming God for some of the pain and hardship that they were dealing with. 
Maybe Silas barked out at Paul, this is a stupid idea. I can't believe you said we should go to this city. What was the dynamics for them? I I don't know about you. I I think that we can all struggle to handle adversity in uh, an uh, appropriate way. Um, How many know when things aren't going well, it's um, really uh, convenient to blame others for our problems, right? A little blame shifting, right? I mean, you know those of you are married, that works out really well in conversation. You just tell your spouse that they're responsible for the problem, and then your spouse responds, oh, I, I didn't even realize that. Well, I am so sorry. What can I do to love and serve you better? Isn't that right how that goes down? Huh? <laughs> Single people are going, really? Praise God, I need to get married. We just want to help you get on the right foot. <laughs> How many know sometimes when we have problems, maybe you know people, we, we begin to magnify our problems more than we begin to magnify God. Sometimes we get in a habit, it, when you hear people talk about what's going on, it's almost as if they're worshiping their problem. It's like, I worship you, almighty problem. There is none like you. But it's the kind of the attention that is given to the circumstance rather than the attention that's given to God, who's the one that's going to deliver us or bring us through the trials that we're in. Well, let's take a moment and check in on Paul in Silas. Let's listen. Let's just pretend like we're flies on the wall. And listen to what's being said. And I don't know why I'm whispering. I'm just assuming if we were there, we'd be quiet. What would we hear? Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Well, how many know that makes sense? They're praying, right? Because they're praying, God, get us out of here. This is crazy. They were praying, but what else were they doing? Singing hymns to God. Because that's what you do when you got dragged through the streets, your clothes were torn off, you were beaten with many stripes, with rods, and thrown into prison. Doesn't that just conjure up a worship experience to you? Come on. Hey, put on some elevation. Let's worship God. All right? Maybe not. But that's what they were doing. They're like, hey, man, let's worship. Yeah. And they're singing to God. And it says that the prisoners were listening. So, while they were praying, what what might they have been saying? What might have we heard? Well, they were in Philippi. How many know Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians that we can read? He may have said, hey, Silas, here's the deal. Let's be anxious for nothing. Come on. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, let's make our requests known to God. And Silas said, yeah, let's ask if he help us get out of here. Because this, unco- this is not comfortable, right? He may have referred to what he told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Hey, Silas, just remember, we've got to rejoice always. We need to pray without ce- ce- ceasing. Let's keep seeking God. And in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. How many know when you're going through a difficult time, you would just love it if someone just came out, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to rejoice and pray and give thanks to God. 
And you know what our response is? Shut up! You know, we want to knock someone out who talks to us and gives us a little Christian response to our difficulty. I've got some bad news for you. That person was right. Even though they may have delivered a little differently, (laughs) right? So check this out. The Scripture says here what the will of God is. One of the number one questions I've heard through the years from believers, what they want to know is they want to know, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. I just want to know what God's will for my life is. Many times the will of God is actually tied to the things that we do because how we live will begin to open or close opportunities to us to fulfill God's calling on our life. So if you want to get from here to the place that God wants you to do, there's some internal business that needs to happen. And so God's will, God is saying, this is my will for you. This is how you should respond. Rejoice when things are going well and just complain when it's not working out the way you'd hoped. Actually, no, it says rejoice. How often? Oh, don't you love scriptures like that? Rejoice. How often? Always. Pray without ceasing. Come on, verse 18. It can't be true. In some things, give thanks. Do you really think, come on now, do you really think the Bible means everything? Or or is this kind of like Paul's getting carried away? (laughs) I think it means in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. So in other words, praying, rejoicing in your circumstances and giving thanks is our strategy that will pave the way for God to do what only He can do. And isn't that what we're praying? God, help, right? We need God to get involved in some way. And then we learn from Scripture is how we, what, what our part is. What's our part? In our darkest hour, rejoice. In our darkest hour, give thanks to God. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. When I'm going through difficult times, it's not the first thing that comes to my mind. Hey, well, life kind of sucks, so <laughs> praise God. Like It just doesn't compute as the first option. I have the same thoughts that most of you do. This is a choice because we're different. We now belong to a God who made everything. We all have a Savior who gave it all and died to rescue us from our sins. Our eternity is secured forever. We're going to heaven and it's going to be good. Whatever our trials are right now, they are short in light of the eternity we're going to get to experience. So can we rejoice in difficult times? Yeah, because we know we're not stuck there. Can we give thanks in difficult times? Yeah, because we know how the story ends. So we are enabled by our ability to see where things end up to choose to give thanks in every situation. Let me tell you what I found when I'm kind of in a funk, you know, about something that I'm upset about or I'm mad about or I'm hurt about. If I will do what the Bible tells me, I just start choosing to try to rejoice, even though everything in my flesh just wants to whine and go eat some ice cream or something, you know, because I may know food is the answer to all problems for about five minutes. Um, what I've found is if I'll press through and I'll just begin to give thanks, I'll just begin to say it. I've discovered that will change how I feel on the inside. And that's why the Bible says our words are powerful out of the mouth, what? Life and death, the powerful life and death. And so God has given us a strategy 
to face our problems, to face our fears, to face our circumstances and adversity in a way that will lead us to winning. I think we'll see that in other scriptures that um, they may have been talking about when they're in Corinthians chapter 15, it says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, now thanks be to God who always leads me into triumph. So here we have these scriptures. When we're down, like Paul and Silas were, when we're in difficult circumstances, we give thanks to who? To God, who does what? Who always leads us into victory, who always causes us to triumph. Come on, here's the deal. Can you imagine a football team getting ready to play the big game and the other team doesn't show up? And then they go, woo, we won, yeah, wasn't that awesome? Listen, without an opposing force, there's no victory. Right? The joy of victory comes from winning. If you don't win, it's not as fun. Did y'all watch the Detroit Lions game? That's all I got to say. <laughs> That's all I got to say. So victory and triumphing is only an experience that comes if there is an opposing force. No opposition, there's no victory. If we want victory, then we got to face the opposition and see it as a part of the victory. And I'm telling you that the Scripture teaches us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And my testimony is is that I do have victory, that I have overcome, come on, that God has and is leading me through and over the circumstances that I'm facing in my life. Amen to that. I'm preaching better than you're responding. I just want to point that out. Come on. So this is why we give thanks, and even when it looks like we're losing, it's our game-winning strategy, and it's what God wants us to do, and this is what faith is. We see something different than what's actually happening in our life. We see the victory before it comes. We see the strategy, and when we can see the other side, we say, thank you, Lord, I'm going to be on the other side of this. Thank you, Lord, that your favor is on me. Thank you, Lord, that you have rescued me. Thank you, Lord, there's going to be a better day. Thank you, Lord, I am going to walk in the promises. What you said you would do, I believe you're going to do it. When our thanksgiving is given, when we choose to rejoice, we give God the opportunity to do what only He can do. And those things are really what we're praying for, right? So we have to do our part. If it was easy, come on, everybody would be doing it. How many know they're not? Don't point at anybody, all right? They're not. This is not a good thing, spouses, to go tell your, when you get home, he was talking about you. Just saying, you might want to pray about that. It takes faith. Well, let's see what happened. Their faith, it led to God doing something. Come on, only God could do. Check it out. Verse 26. Verse 26, they experienced a suddenly, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. What a coincidence. They were just singing, giving praise and thanks to God in the midst of their dark hour. And an earthquake came so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. Come on, another crazy moment in this dramatic story that's taking place. Immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Could you imagine being there in that moment? Even if you went through all that, you'd be going, 
Whoa, man, this is awesome because they're out of their socks. They're walking around and, you know, and, and, and I want to point something out. They're experiencing freedom, but also all the other folks in their time are experiencing some freedom. You just need to know that sometimes our victories bring freedom to others as well. Now, this jailer in the story was tripping out because this is an experience for him too, and he's seeing all of these people leaving, and that's his job, and this has gone bad, and so what's he going to do? Well, he's going to kill himself. And then, uh, but Paul says, don't kill themselves because nobody's going to be leaving at this time. And he said, well, he now has seen the power of God, verse 30, and he, the jailer, brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wasn't that why they came? to Macedonia, to preach the gospel. They prayed and God showed up, but it was not in a way that they had planned. But did God show up? And was it powerful? And did this get the attention of the jailer and a few others? Yes. So we see it and they responded, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved and you and your household. Come on, bring in some glad tidings. Joy to the world. Man, they were busting it out. And what did they do? Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. Craziness to glory of God, power of God. That's like, you know, Silas and you know, Paul, high five. Bam, that's right. That's why God called us here. Dude, you still got a lot of stripes there, bro. Marks of victory. You never hear a football player complaining about bruises. They brag about it. Just thought I'd point that out. So their problems, their adversity, led them to a crisis situation. The opposite of what they thought and felt was supposed to happen. They were planning on preaching the gospel, and it got crazy. And so going through the adversity and putting their trust in God led the circumstances to God's power showing up in their circumstances, and it brought about the mission of seeing this guy and this whole family saved. Do you think that that had ripple effects in the community? There was a bunch of prisoners that went, dog, did you see those guys? They were singing, and their God showed up. We need to tune into this and find out what's happening. In fact, it reminds me, not too long ago when I was in India, um, I, I went and, and was, um, had the opportunity to do some sharing and teaching of about 120 young church planners um, that are doing church planning far different than what we would think. They get sent out with a bike and a guitar, and they go into unchurched villages that they are familiar with, and they do speak the language. But uh, we're talking um, people that are worshiping other gods, right, in a big way. There are Muslim communities that are, that are there, uh, Hindus that are there, and they don't preach like we do. In fact, really, the only way a church gets started is by miracles happening. They have to pray for legitimate, God, you got to show up and do miracles. Their lives are threatened, and I was hearing stories of people came, they had been threatened. Some of them actually get beaten. They've been put in jail. But what happened is, is sometimes there's a crisis, and there's a story one guy was telling of, uh, that uh, they had a witch doctor in the community uh, that came to his house because a, their child was dying. And he basically said, if your God doesn't do something, tomorrow we're going to come back and we're going to take you out. And that made him pray. <laughs> How many know this is different? 
Like, tomorrow they're going to come back and kill me. That changes the way you pray, right? I mean, like, God, <laughs> help. And he prayed. And the next day, the guy came back, and his daughter was well, and he was crying, and he was, you know, thankful to God. And he gave his life, his whole family to Christ, and I'll open the door for a church to happen in that community. And I kept asking about how they came to Jesus, and it was a miracle happened. Um, I got healed. Um, my family member got healed. And, and that was the glory of God that showed up in a way that proved that He was God. In our culture, I'm just telling you, when you're going through dark times and you choose to give thanks and you choose to worship, and when God shows up, everyone around you sees you're different. They, when they, when, how do you live that way? How, how do you respond to that that way? And, and when, when the breakthrough comes, it's the light of the gospel and gives you the platform to share how you're able to do what you do and how these things took place in your life and how God brought it to pass. I'm just saying, Boom! And so often it's through our problems, often it's through our adversity that will lead us on the path to advancing the mission God's called us to, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, to advance the kingdom of God. Through trials, tribulation, and hardships when we're fighting on the other side is the advancing of the plan that God has for us. Now, here's what I know. None of us are going to sign up for that ministry. Who would like to be on the adversity team? How about you? You have big problems. How many want to go through that today? It's like, I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not. It doesn't matter. You sign up to follow Jesus. You're going to suffer tribulation. Do you know why? Persecution is coming our way. Well, you know what? Let's get ready for it. With what? Rejoicing and thanksgiving, and we're going to pray all the way through it. Why? Because others' lives will be impacted by the way you handle your adversity when it comes. Worship team, can you all come up wherever you are? When you're up here, you need a worship team. You just kind of need them to appear. Aww. And they show up. So in light of what I've shared with you, what is it that we should do? What is it that you should do? I'm assuming in a group our size that there may be some people in here facing some problems, facing some challenges, facing a dark hour, facing some words of uh, sickness, labels that may have been placed on your life. Welcome to the club. We all have those kinds of things that come at different seasons in our life. How can we benefit today from what we've learned from Paul and Silas as they handled what they went through, the adversity that they faced. First, I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. Our God is faithful. You need to remember what He's promised. You need to remember what God said. There are things in the Bible that, that communicate to us what God said He would do on our behalf if we believe that He will do it. That's called faith. It's where it's the anchor of our soul, where we buy into what He says more than we buy into how we feel. Remember and remind yourself of what God has said and put your hope and trust in Him. Thirdly, sing. Come on, sing somebody. We want to give praise to God. 
You don't even have to sing good. I don't. We just have to choose that in the face of how we feel, we're going to sing through it. We're going to give thanksgiving through it. Why? Because we know our God is faithful. Our God will do what he said he would do. And I'm choosing to believe that above what I feel and what I see and what people are saying and what I'm thinking. And so today... If you're dealing with things in your life, if you've got some barrenness, some pain, if there's some, some sickness, you've got a dark season that you're going on, are you struggling in the midst of an addiction? My encouragement to you is come on, stand up and rejoice over who your God is and what he said he would do. Believe that he'll do it. And I'm telling you, on the other side is victory. On the other side is triumph in the name of Jesus.